Good day. It's June 3rd, and I want to welcome you to our one-year Bible Tour Guide daily podcast. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and we are reading through both the Old and New Testaments with daily readings also from the books of Psalms and Proverbs. Using the plan that's found in the one-year Bible publications that can be purchased at your local bookstore, read online at the oneyearbibleonline.com website, You can also get instructions to enable your smartphone to get the daily reading by going to the oneyearbibleonline.com forward slash add to home screen. This year we are reading from the English Standard Version. So if you want to follow along what I'm reading, you can have the option of selecting that translation rather than the default New Living Translation. Select your preferred translation before bookmarking the OneYearBibleOnline.com daily reading page. We are reading today from the book of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, and we will be starting the book of Acts in the New Testament. By this time in our tour, you will have realized in our readings that human history is not pretty. Much of what has taken place in the biblical accounts are horrific. Even the stories of those in the Bible who are looked upon as God's servants disclose the truth that all have sinned and fail to discharge the original intended purpose of their humanity, that is, to reflect the moral nature of God. Some critics exclaim that the Bible is full of violence, bloodshed, and all kinds of evil. We don't deny it. That is because the Bible tells it as it is. This fallen world is full of violence, bloodshed, and immorality. God does not turn a blind eye to our sin, but has authored a plan to deal with it. When we read of the sins of Abraham, Moses, Jacob, and David, for example, God does not approve of their behavior. When David sins, the Bible makes it clear that what David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. The good news, however, is that God, who has every right to condemn us to hell for our sins, has provided a way to righteously justify the ungodly and ultimately restore them to that purpose for which they were originally created that is, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Before we finish the book of Second Samuel, we will see more evidence that David is living in a Genesis 3 world involving tragic conflicts, acts of violence, and the harsh realities of sin and death, as we are today. But he will hold to God's promise to provide a refuge from the wrath to come and deliverance from the holding powers of sin and death. The good news is that we are living at a time when we have the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to point to, which assures us of the sure mercies of David, the forgiveness of our sins, and the power of the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost to free us from the law of sin and death. We will learn more about the acts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles in the early church as we start the book of Acts today. But first, let's pick up our reading from the Old Testament book of Second Samuel. We will pick up where we left off yesterday, 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14, and we will read through to chapter 21, verse 22, from the English Standard Version. 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14. And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel of Beth Maacah, and all the Bichrites assembled and followed him in. And all the men who were with Joab came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Maacah, They cast up a mound against the city, and it stood against the rampart, 
and they were battering the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman called out from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab, come here, that I may speak to you. And he came near her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, Listen to the words of your servant. And he answered, I am listening. Then she said, They used to say in former times, Let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled a matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? Joab answered, Far be it from me, far be it, that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim, called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give up him alone, and I will withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they dispersed from the city, every man to his home, and Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. Now Joab was in command of all the army of Israel, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was in command of the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and Adoram was in charge of the forced labor, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was the recorder, and Sheva was secretary, and Zadok and Abiathar were priests, and Ira, the Jairite, was also David's priest. Chapter 21 Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And how shall I make atonement, that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us or Saul or his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, What do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us, so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us, so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them between David and Jonathan the son of Saul. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Melhalathite. And he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord, and the seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of harvest, at the beginning of barley harvest. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock, from the beginning of harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. 
and she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day, or the beasts of the field by night. When David was told what Rizpah the daughter of Aiah the concubine of Saul had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them, on the day the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. And he brought up from there the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan, and they gathered the bones of those who were hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin in Zelah, in the tomb of Kish his father. And they did all that the king commanded. And after that God responded to the plea for the land. There was a war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed three hundred shekels of bronze, and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebekai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jaara Arjim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And this concludes our reading from today's passage from the Old Testament in Second Samuel. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. Civil unrest continues as Sheba and those who have joined him in his rebellion against David travel to the city of Abel. Sheba is hoping to gain the support of his clansmen in that city to join his rebellion. David's army, again under the leadership of Joab, catch up with Sheba at the city of Abel and lay siege against it. Those who are within the city are in a lockdown, surrounded by David's troops. They cannot go outside the city or they will be killed. A wise woman from the city of Abel makes a plea to Joab. Rather than needlessly destroying the Lord's city and its inhabitants, she proposes a bargain. Deal with the root of the rebellion. If Joab and his army will leave the city of Abel in peace, she will ask the people to decapitate Sheba and throw his head over the wall. After all, Sheba is the one behind the revolt. Joab and the people of the city of Abel agree. Sheba is killed and Joab is satisfied. David's army retreats to Jerusalem and the city of Abel is spared. The book of Second Samuel ends with two calamities. As we will learn, each is caused by someone's sin. As King David prays in chapter 21, he learns that the three-year drought is due to the sin of Saul and his family for their treatment of the Gibeonites. The plague that comes upon Israel in chapter 24 is divine chastisement for David's sin. In between these disasters are four victories, chapter 21, verses 15 to 22, 
two psalms written by David, chapter 22, verses 1 through chapter 23, verse 7, and a list of David's mighty men, chapter 23, verses 8 through 39. When Joshua entered the promised land under divine orders to drive out its inhabitants, the Gibeonites pretended to be sojourners from a powerful nation. Deceived by this, Joshua and the Israelites make a covenant not to kill them, in Joshua chapter 9, but to allow them to stay, serving them as woodcutters and water carriers. We don't have the record of the implied incident during which the house of Saul broke the vow and slaughtered the Gibeonites. But here, in chapter 21, we learn that Saul's act was the reason that God was bringing this judgment upon the land. Perhaps because the city of Gibeon was in Saul's tribal land of Benjamin, he wanted them out. Whatever the reason, Saul's misjudgment brought the present environmental trial of famine upon Israel. When David receives this word from the Lord, he appeals to the Gibeonites to make reparations. The Gibeonites ask that David give them seven of Saul's sons to execute by hanging. They will hang before the Lord in the city of Gibeon, the city of King Saul. Chapter 21, verse 6. Once again sparing Saul's grandson Mephibosheth because of the covenant David made with Jonathan, David gave them seven descendants of Saul to be impaled at Gibeon at the beginning of the barley harvest. Rizpah, the mother of two of the victims, Saul's sons Armoni and another Mephibosheth, spread sackcloth upon a rock and stayed there throughout the harvest season, keeping vultures away from tearing the bodies during the day and wild animals from eating them at night. You may remember reading of Rizpah, a concubine of Saul, who was involved with Abner when Abner abandoned the house of Saul and joined David in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 6-12. through 12. David, hearing the news of what Rizpah was doing, arranges for the bones of these men to be buried in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father. David also asks for the bones of Saul and Jonathan to be buried there. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son in the country of Benjamin in Zela, in the grave of Kish his father. Thus they did all that the king commanded, and after that God was moved by prayer for the land. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 14. After this incident, we read of four victories over the Philistine giants. Number one, Abishai, David's nephew, comes to David's rescue when David, weak and exhausted, is about to be killed by Ishbenob, a giant in full armor whose spear weighed more than twelve pounds. It was such a close call that David's men appealed to David not to go out to battle again, lest the light of Israel be snuffed out. The second victory, Sibekai, the Hushathite, successfully defeats another giant, Saph. Number three, Elhanan from Bethlehem in Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 24, kills the brother of the giant Goliath, the Gittite, whose spear was as large as a weaver's beam. And the fourth victory is when Jonathan, another nephew of David, the son of David's brother Shimei, kills a giant at Gath with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. We have a record of David's song, which he sang to the Lord after being rescued from Saul and all his other enemies. The words will be familiar to you. They are found in Psalm 18. It is believed that David wrote this song after God had made a covenant with him and before his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. He couldn't have written in good conscience the words found in verses 20 through 27, knowing how his sins had impacted his household and nation. 
David rightly praises God as his rock, fortress, savior, refuge, shield, salvation, high tower, rescuer, and the one who is worthy of all worship and praise. He writes of God's awesome power and holiness in chapter 22, verses 8 through 17, and gives him praise for delivering him from powerful enemies who hated him and were too strong for him. This is a wonderful picture of the favor we have in Christ. We can say he delights in us. Let's go to today's reading from the New Testament. We start the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 1, verse 26. Acts, chapter 1, the promise of the Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about one hundred and twenty, and he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen 
to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This concludes our reading from the New Testament, the book of Acts chapter 1. The title of this action-packed book could be Jesus Continued. Dr. Luke, the physician who accompanies Paul on his later missionary journeys, clues us in that this is the continuation of his first volume, which we know as the Gospel of Luke. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Acts 1, verses 1 and 2. Luke implies that in his earlier writing, the Gospel of Luke, he was writing of what Jesus began to do and teach in his personal physical body. In this second volume, he will write of what Jesus continues to do and teach, primarily in his spirit-filled corporate body of redeemed believers, the Church. Over a period of forty days, the risen Lord Jesus appears to his disciples and instructs them pertaining to the kingdom of God. He lets them know that there is more to come. God has appointed a time and a place for what he has promised. Jesus clarifies that he is not speaking specifically about when the kingdom of God will come to Israel. That is another matter for another time fixed by the Father's authority in Acts chapter 1 verse 7. He is speaking about the promise of the Spirit. He is speaking about the outpoured blessing promised as part of the new covenant inaugurated by Jesus' atoning death on the cross by which he would put a new spirit in them and write the law of God on their hearts. He is speaking about the Holy Spirit bringing the intuitive knowledge of God, enabling Christ to live in and through them, emboldening them as witnesses to the gospel to all nations. In Acts chapter 2, we know that the promised Holy Spirit is given on the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is fifty days after the Feast of Firstfruits when Jesus rose from the dead. In the book of Leviticus chapter 23 and in Exodus chapters 23 and 34, Numbers chapter 28 verse 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 16, we read about the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Harvest or Shavuot, Feast of Weeks, Feast of the Ingathering. The word penti means fifty. It's the fiftieth day. From the Feast of Firstfruits, you shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. Leviticus 23, verse 16. So, 50 minus 40 equals a 10-day wait. Some of us have difficulty waiting 10 seconds, much more 10 days. Although the 120 gathering in the upper room in Jerusalem did not realize it, the Holy Spirit would be given on a fixed day by the authority of the Father, the Feast of Pentecost. Jesus could have told them how long they would have to wait because He is God, but instead, he teaches his disciples to wait on the Father's timetable. Jesus clarifies what the waiting is all about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This verse contains an outline of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is given and the church at Jerusalem is born in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit empowers them to witness to the lordship and saving work of Christ in Jerusalem in chapters 2 through 7. 
The church then is scattered, and the witness to the gospel is spread throughout Judea and Samaria, in Acts chapter 8 and 9, and then to the Gentiles and the uttermost parts of the earth, in Acts chapter 10 through Acts chapter 28. In verse 9, we learn of a very important event, the ascension of Christ. This is the coronation of Christ the King. Jesus ascends to the Father as the God-man, representing those who would believe in Him throughout the ages. He is given a name, a credential above every other name, and functions as our High Priest, Advocate, Exalted and Glorified Head, our Living Word, and He will return as our Bridegroom, Shepherd, King, and Judge. If Jesus had not ascended to the Father to be seated at His right hand as our representative, the Holy Spirit could not be given. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Two angelic messengers in white clothing assure those who witness the ascension that Jesus will one day return in the same way as they have watched him go into heaven. He will return to the same place, the Mount of Olives, outside Jerusalem. The disciples return to Jerusalem with great joy in Luke chapter 24, verse 52. They spend the next ten days both meeting in the upper room and praising God at the temple in Luke chapter 24, verse 23. They are in one accord. They choose a replacement for Judas to maintain an apostolic delegation of twelve. The qualifications are that he had to have been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry up until the ascension. The twelve must all be witnesses to the death and resurrection, realizing that the purpose of Christ's coming was to accomplish our redemption through the cross. They choose Matthias. Except for Peter and John, none of the twelve, including the newly chosen Matthias, are mentioned after Acts chapter 1, verse 13. It was necessary that twelve men witness the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, as it was necessary for the twelve tribes to witness the giving of the law at Sinai. We also know that in the future, the twelve apostles and the twelve tribes are mentioned in the book of Revelation and in the words of Jesus. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Luke chapter 22, verses 28 through 30. We learn more about Judas in this passage. In verse 24, we are reminded that Judas turned aside from the Lord and his apostleship. God foretold it in the book of Psalms. Psalm 69 verse 25 and Psalm 109 verse 8 are quoted in Acts chapter 1 verse 20. Yet Judas was responsible for his wickedness. We learn more about how he died. Matthew speaks of his hanging himself, and here we have the aftermath. The weight of the body may have broken a limb, and the body may have decayed, causing him to fall headlong and burst open in the middle, causing his intestines to gush out. The Pharisees hired Judas to betray the Lord, and then, when they received the money back from Judas, they did not want the blood money on their hands and bought a field. The believers prayed for God's guidance before they voted, because they wanted to select the man that God had already chosen. Proverbs 16 verse 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This is the last instance of casting lots in the Bible. We are told that in the New Testament era, if we are willing to obey Him, He will reveal His will to us. John chapter 7, verse 17, 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now let's read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. This is the second song of ascents. Psalm 121 I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm reminds us to recognize our Creator's majesty, wonder, and strength when we behold the beauty of creation. And then we remember that we have been invited into a relationship with our Creator, who is also our Helper and our Redeemer. We can call upon Him. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Now let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is a well-known warning against pride. Pride comes before a fall. Beware of self-boasting. The two phrases here are synonymous, linking the dangers of pride and arrogance or a haughty spirit. It is best for us to deny self and let Christ, who is our life, be the source of our confidence and the reason for any boasting. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, giver of every perfect gift, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost. All that the Lord Jesus is at your right hand is now mediated to us by the Holy Spirit. We are identified, hid, complete, perfected, and accepted in His belovedness. Lord, thank you for reminding us of our responsibility to walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh. We are grateful that your wrath has been removed and your favor restored because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Thank you for putting your seal on the efficacy of His work by raising Him from the dead, receiving Him as our representative, and shedding upon us the gift of your Holy Spirit. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of who you are today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this concludes our daily reading through the Bible, and we hope to be with you tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments we'd love to hear from you, you can contact us by writing an email to podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like a written transcript of our accompanying commentary, you can go to our website and subscribe at newlife.org. God bless you, and may I encourage you to keep on being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs.